Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. In this episode, we go behind the scenes of director Taylor Hackford's new drama, The Comedian. The film stars Robert De Niro as Jackie Burke, a comedian on the downside of his career whose efforts at reinvention are stymied because his fans only want to see him as the television character he once played. After an incident with an audience member gets him sentenced to community service, he finds inspiration in the daughter of a sleazy Florida real estate mogul. In addition to the comedian, Mr. Hackford's credits include the feature films Parker, The Devil's Advocate, Dolores Claiborne, Everybody's All-American, the documentaries Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, and Bukowski, and the pilot for the series E-Ring. Mr. Hackford was nominated for both the DGA Award and the Academy Award for his 2004 feature, Ray, and again for the DGA Award for his 1982 feature, An Officer and a Gentleman. He won the Oscar for Best Live Action Short Film for his 1978 film, Teenage Father. Mr. Hackford also served as president of the Guild from 2009 to 2013 and was honored with the Robert B. Aldrich Achievement Award which he shared with director and current DGA president Paris Barkley in 2007 for his long service to the DGA. Following a recent screening of The Comedian at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Hackford spoke with fellow director David O. Russell about the making of the film. During their conversation, Mr. Hackford discusses shooting the film on a tight 27-day schedule, his choice to model the character of Jackie Burke after the legendary comedian Lenny Bruce, and his research for the film, which involved going out to comedy clubs with Robert De Niro two to three times a week. Thank you guys for coming out. Um, it's, a, it's an honor to be here with Taylor. I'd just like to talk about Taylor a little bit because I find his, his, his pedigree of filmmaking is very specific. Um, and it's reflected in the music. So if you don't mind, Taylor, I'd like to just talk about you for one minute. Um, there's a streak of authenticity in all of Taylor's work that goes back to the very beginning. Um, you know, his his first picture was a doc, almost a documentary about Charles Bukowski, the great poet who was the subject of the Barbet Schroeder film, uh, Barfly. Um, and then Taylor won an Oscar for the his short film on teenage called Teenage Father. Um, and and he made a picture called The Idol Maker, again, about music. Uh, an Officer and a Gentleman, uh, Against All Odds. These are incredible films. White Nights, where he met uh, someone named Helen Mirren um, when she came in for an audition that he kept her waiting for, notoriously. That's how you get somebody like that. You keep them waiting. Um, Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll. Phenomenal uh, documentary. Um, Everybody's All-American, Jessica Lange. Uh, and, and Quaid, our man Quaid. Uh, Blood In, Blood Out, Dolores Claiborne, Devil's Advocate, big on the playlist in my uh, 22-year-old's room. Big, 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 with uh, Keanu, right? Yeah. And Al Pacino and Charlize. Proof of Life, uh, with uh, notorious for uh, the on-screen and off-screen, um, Russell Crowe and uh, Meg Ryan. Ray, 
for which he was nominated for an Academy Award as a producer and director, and which Jamie Foxx won the Academy Award for, deservedly. Extraordinary, wonderful picture. Um, and um, your involvement in uh, When We Were Kings is not written down here, um, which is one of my favorites of your involvements, which is, again, a very authentic picture about Muhammad Ali's trip to Africa, which has... Uh, uh, isn't it James Brown who went down there? Yeah, James Brown went down to Africa because they were there for so long. Love Ranch with the uh, uh, incomparable Helen Mirren. Parker, uh, which is one of Donald, Donald Westlake's uh, final works. Um, the great Donald Westlake who wrote... Um, the Robert Redford picture, The Hot Rock, and other great books. And uh, now The Comedian. And I see The Comedian as a companion piece to Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese's um, King of Comedy. It dives right into the heart of that profoundly uncomfortable territory that Bob loves, um, and, and I think Art Linson loves, and I think Taylor must have an appetite for. And we were speaking beforehand about the film. We were speaking about the extraordinary score and Taylor was saying to me, I would love it if you would tell us a little bit about this. Um, about yeah. Well, you know, uh, Jackie Burke is uh, a child of Lenny Bruce. He's, you know, he's a fictional character, but he fits into that continuum uh, with Lenny Bruce kind of changing the nature of stand-up comedy. It's not, you know, it's, it's not funny. You know, if you ever saw Lenny Bruce's work, it was challenging. It wasn't necessarily ha-ha funny. Uh, George Carlin came in that next generation. You know, Richard Pryor came in that next generation. Even Woody Allen came in that next generation. And uh, they were different than Bob Hope and Jack Benny, etc. And Jackie Burke, I wanted to fit in there because that fits Bob's age. But if you go back and look at that group, they played clubs, they played jazz clubs. They literally were... Uh, on the bill, opening or, you know, a, a, like doing an act, and then on came some of the great jazz acts. And I wanted, you know, I just felt that this music, and I'm a big a jazz fan. I love Art Blakey, the Blue Note era, and you see I use in there, you know, you see Bob in his underwear ironing <laughs> alone in his in his apartment, the isolation of a comic. But he's playing Art Blakey, and then we use it twice when we go to the the comedy club. But aside from that, it's all original score. And Terrence Blanchard, who's a great trumpet player, a really great trumpet player, and uh, also a great composer. He does all of Spike's movies. Um, and I've known him for years. He's from New Orleans. I have a life in New Orleans. I've heard him play a lot. I've always wanted to work with him. And I called him up. And the great thing is, Terrence, when he was a teenager, a hot, young trumpet player from New Orleans, played with Art Blakey. So I said, I want that kind of score. And he went, got it. And, you know, he's got John Coltrane's son, Robbie Coltrane, that played on there. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, for me, a kind of dream to be able to, one, do a score that the music fits the main character. I really believe Bob De Niro, that is his music. You know where he's from. Doesn't the time of now, he's a relic from the past. Except he refuses to give up. And there's a, there's a sense of that music really reflecting him, and I love it. And Terrence did a, did a great job. Well, um, I know this project had a history prior to you, as did the, the Fighter before I had it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that history? Yeah, I, I, I got a call that uh, this this script, which had been around for some seven years, and that Bob De Niro uh, had been committed to all this time um, with a, with a, with his very close friend Art Linson, 
they've worked together a lot. Art's produced movies that Bob's been in, and they're very close. Um, I read the script, and uh, I mean, it, my feeling was just this. It's, it was all over the place. It's a character study. It's not a tight narrative. But it was really clear that if Bob wanted, that, that it was impossible for him to skim this. He had to crawl into this character. He had to really get in there and go after it. And if he was willing to do that, I wanted to be along. I wanted to be part of it. And I, I met Art in London. And then I, I was in Italy when I read it. I went to London, saw him, and I went to New York and met Bob. And they invited me on. And it was, you know, I, you know, David knows. He's worked with, with Bob a lot. Marty's worked with Bob a lot. You know, you know the De Niro character. You don't know what he's going to do. And uh, we know. We know him. He's an amazing uh, person. Uh, if, if he was here on stage right now, he'd be very taciturn. You might call him inarticulate. He wouldn't give long answers, you know, this kind of thing. We we also know the mind is amazing. It's like a trap. There's nothing that gets by Bob De Niro. Um, and I had this weird kind of thing. I, I work with actors. I love actors. I live with a great actor. But, you know, you call sometimes and you're trying to get them and they're busy or they're doing publicity or doing... Bob De Niro, you you send him a text, and I swear, within three minutes, he's back. You leave a phone call. He's called you back. And I'm saying, oh, Bob, I want to talk to you. About Where are you? I'm in the Seychelles. Wait a minute. You were in New York yesterday. Yeah, well, I had to come there. I mean, but the point is, he's very busy. He's a big businessman. He's got lots of projects. I've never seen an actor respond as quickly and as conscientiously as De Niro. Now, that belies the guy that you kind of... You see, so you know, you he, this was his project. He invited me on, and the great thing about Bob De Niro is that he wants direction. He responds. He, you know, he he gives a great deal of of time and emphasis to to the director. You know, make it your own. I'm on board. Tell me where you want. Now, it doesn't mean you tell him what to do. You give him input, and then he translates it into his thing. But um, he was he was fantastic to work with. It was you know when you you all know you you work we all work on this. There's a thing called turnaround. Uh, this film was made in 27 days, no time. We didn't have any time and had no money. And uh, you know when you're trying and I was shooting mostly real locations in and around New York. So you know we're on Long Island. We're back in Manhattan. We're in Brooklyn. We're in Bush. And we're all over the place. And you just you can't get there that quickly. So every day, the AD, uh, Steve, you know, uh, Steve would go to the, you know, the star and say, we have to break your turnaround. And he'd say, okay, tell me when. So near the end of the shoot, you know, you, it, it accrues. And Steve came to me, um, and he had this, his eyes down. And I said, what's the matter? He said, well, we have to break Bob's turnaround again. I said, well, go tell him. He said, well, I don't feel comfortable doing it. I'd like you to. I said, well, how long? He said, four hours. So you know if, if and, it's, and it's not portal to portal, it's set to set. So Bob's going to go home and have six hours and have to be back. And you go to him and you say, Bob, uh, I, I, have to, I have to ask you something. We're, we're down. He says, well, when, what do you want? What do you need? What time? I'll be there. Boom. So I got a lot of time for Bob De Niro. He's a mensch, and uh, you know it was not easy for him. You know, uh, stand-up comedy is is brutal. 
it's it's tough. You have to face those people. And the character he's playing is not sweet, as you can see. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are insulted, all right? And by the way, if they weren't, we didn't do our job right. <laughs> because I don't know if you've been in comedy clubs, but that's, it's it's this combative thing. And somebody like Jackie Burke, who is a misanthrope, um, has to go in and... You know, he's, he just refuses to give up. I think that you don't like him, but you hopefully you respect him a little bit because his desire to kind of go in there and still be in the game while everyone else is discounting him is to me the thing I, 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 I liked best about that, and I think Bob did too. Yeah, some of my favorite things in the movie are you guys go to those horribly relatable scenes uh, for anyone who works in public, the public eye. Um, the opening scene... Uh, where he has the uh, fight with the heckler, um, and uh, over the microphone, which is, uh, you know, Sean Penn at one time was going to direct this picture, wasn't he? And yes, Sh- he Sean was. Penn had more than one tangle with a camera uh, in his fist, and um, you know, so there's that scene, which of course then becomes a a taped podcast thing, right? Because that's yeah, what I think that the thing is, any comedian is he can handle a heckler. It's not the heckling. It has nothing to do with that. It's it's about the changing nature of society. If if a guy is out in the audience or a woman saying, you, you know, a comedian knows what to deal with. They just they just have it. It's part of their arsenal. But these people aren't heckling. They're shooting him, putting him down, and going to create their own show on the internet, which is the world that we live in today. And that's what gets him. That's what riles him. That's why he went down and did it. And, you know, Danny DeVito, his brother, said, I can't believe you let that guy get to you. He said, well, that, he didn't get to me like he would because he, he wasn't that smart. What he was was violating me. And I think that was the that was the point. Stealing his material. Yeah. yeah. Making it, making it, taking it away from him. And then it happens again in court when he can't apologize to the guy which, of course, is so real and relatable. And he refuses to apologize to him. And then he goes to prison, and he's greeted as his, as his old persona on the TV show, which he can't escape. Um, and, um, and then uh, Edie Falco picks him up and, out of prison, and then you've got Danny DeVito and Patti Lapone. And how did you put together this, this cast, with all th- with, which also has Harvey Keitel? Um, yeah, it's quite a cast. Um, and to tell me about that. Well, you know, you are really lucky when you have Bob De Niro because he's a magnet to actors. They want to act with the Bob De Niro. It's, it's uh, you know, and but these are all veterans. These are all, I mean, listen, one of the things, if you've got 27 days, I'm not, you know, listen, there's other people who shoot even shorter schedules. But we, were, we had a lot of real locations. We did not shoot in studios. It's, it's, it's tough. You better have horses thoroughbreds and these people were all veterans and they knew and we didn't have a lot of time you know you go in and and you and I, what i wanted in this piece was a kind of spontaneity i wanted to be able to go in i mean i i love his work love it you know when he goes in you feel those people are alive there's a there's a kind of um it, you know it it's it's very specific what david does but there's there's also a chaotic you really you believe those people are in a in a in a in a pressure cooker and i and i love that kind of performance in this particular film i wanted those people to feel like you know first of all they didn't have time to think things through and go back and do them 47 times just let their personalities go 
and 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 have that kind of nobody acts alone. Let that kind of interchange happen. So you know, Danny DeVito, I love. I know him, and I thought, could he be Bob De Niro's brother? Uh, we went into a deli in Queens called Ben's Best Deli, and I looked up on the wall. The guy who ran it, his father had started, and there's a there's a painting I put it in the movie of Ben from Ben's Best. You look at that painting, it works. It looks like DeVino. It looks like De Niro. And you go, there it is. <laughs> you don't need anything more. But uh, it, it was great for them to work together. Danny's got such amazing timing. And Patty's an old friend of mine. I mean, I've, I used her in Parker. I mean, I put her in every movie I'm going to be. I do. I just love her. You know, she's a stage actress, but she's got such, you know, personality and stuff. So, you know, when she just, just having her walk from the kitchen into the scene and see Bob's face, you're already laughing because you know they hate each other. You know, and, uh, and, 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 you know, you, 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 uh, you know, the, the thing is all those people, Charles Grodin and Bob have a history. I love Charles Grodin. I've always loved him. He isn't acting very much anymore. I, I coaxed him out. He doesn't leave his compound in Connecticut. I had to seduce him out, you know, um, you know, Keitel, you know, it's, it's the, he and Bob are still very, very close. They did mean streets together. Remember, Harvey was the star and Bob Taxi the, driver, and then, then Bob taxi was the driver. star. Oh, they were almost equalish there. But then, so then what happened here with them? Well, you know, in this instance, you know, Harvey's like, uh, I, I know I'm supporting Bob, but this has got to be my movie. <laughs> this is the way Harvey is. I don't, you know, I don't care about these other people. It's all about Mac. <laughs> and, you know, you let it work because that is who Mac is. And, I, and the, I, the reason I went with Harvey, and it was not easy to get him in this film, you know, what was written, again, this is Art Linson's vision. We had three other writers, but they're all serving a certain kind of... He creates a character who's an ex-gangster who loves Eddie and will likes to do Eddie. You know, there are very few actors who can do that. You know, can kind of give the threat of who they could really be and, and what they've been what they've been in their life, and at the same time go, you know, let me do Eddie, you know? And you see Bob, I love Bob in that scene, because if you look at the response, you know, Harvey's got all the stuff, but if you look at Leslie and Bob, their reactions are so Let's talk good. about Leslie Mann. How great is Leslie Mann? Leslie Mann is very authentic, right? Yeah. She's And she's married to one of our most famous comedians, yeah. Judd Apatow, and... You know, and she's done predominantly comedies, but this to me felt like a crossover piece from her, like when Bill Murray started to do more drama. Yeah, this is a, I, I, you know, I didn't, she's not telling jokes here. She's just being real and dramatic. And this is the important thing to say. You, you, you prepare, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare, you're working. There was another actress that was attached to this. Um, and she was doing it and she did the reading and all those things. And all of a sudden, with uh, four weeks, Less than four weeks left, she dropped out. <laughs> Goodbye. And it's we're not, tough. We're not, we're not naming names here. Is that the? Pardon me. We're not naming names here. With, without naming names. Okay. I don't want to name a name, but the, okay. but the fact is, you know, she had a perfectly had fine. fine it, happens, it happens. It happens. It does happen. Yeah. And you're stuck. And maybe it was a good stroke of fortune. Uh, it was the best. Because I looked around, we had different people. We have people that we like that are really good, and and Leslie, I've always liked, and I decided to meet her. I was out here from New York, and I went and met her, um, you know, at the Country Market, uh, uh, Redwood uh, Country Market. Yeah, exactly. 
And I just, you know, look in her eyes. She's got the most incredible eyes. And you know what? The thing that's great is that she's got courage. She lives with a comedian. She knows, you know, other people were going, well, I don't know this character. This I don't know how anybody's going to like this character. And and this Jackie Burke, I mean, ugh. And you know what she, of course, look who she's married to. She's married to Judd. She got it. She knew. And she wanted to jump into something. It was the best thing that ever happened to us. Because Leslie came in fearless and jumped in and nobody acts alone. And, you know, Bob, you know, getting chemistry, sexual chemistry, there's, there's, they, they have stuff going on, the two of them. He's really, I'm so thrilled to see that. But Leslie is just terrific. And what I wanted was, they're, they're two dysfunctional people. They both have anger problems, right? And you see her at the beginning having her big conversation with her ex-boyfriend and you realize she's doing, you know, time for, she's doing her community service for, you know, attacking the girlfriend and all that stuff. But the thing that really worked for me is, you know, she goes to a wedding, she's there looking at this, this, this family, this Jewish family. She's like along for the ride looking. And then, you know, she meets Patty Lapone, and Patty Lapone insults her. Like, you know, where did he pick you up, you whore? And just by her look, right? And then at the end, when they're leaving, and she's just along for the ride, and Patty attacks Jackie, she, like, sticks up for Jackie. And then when Patty goes after it, you see Leslie. It was just, it, that scene, you know, is not written. for. It's got a little general thing. That's called a lot of great actors and an improv. And I love the fact that what that is is character. When you see Leslie, when you see Harmony, go after Patty Lapone, who is fearsome. And and the two guys are going, whoa, trying to pull them back, <laughs> these two women. You see, character-wise, why Harmony's had her problems, because <laughs> she's in it. And then to turn around and then go down those stairs after this fierce thing where you think she should be crying, and she goes, no, I love her, it was great, you know. <laughs> Those are those are great moments of character that I think are are fun. They're they're messy, but that's what this film was supposed to be. It's fantastic the courage of of her character, and I, I think she really shows her dramatic chops in this picture in a way that was very impressive to me, and very soulful, um, and fearless and and sexy, but also so messy. And they meet when she breaks the jar. They're both doing community service in a uh, in the homeless shelter, and then they make the bargain. Uh, one will go with one to one's horrible family event and return to going to the other horrible right. family event. Yeah, but you know, it's uh, that that scene where she breaks the olives. I mean, it's the scene that we wanted to to get, but uh, that olive break and that that take, one take. She it dropped. She just it just you know you you do this for a while, and you know early on you want to do this take and that take and get it right. You get to a certain point, you realize. That that was magic. It ain't gonna happen like that again. We can do it five more times. That was it. And and uh, I said, okay, let's move on. And she went, really? I said, you did it. There it was. And the great thing was that Bob saw it. I did. I was doing her side first. So when that happened, he now knew what he was responding to. And he did, you know, he was riffing. You know, that whole thing, I'll be outside, just like with all the home peace people, you'll see me on the street sleeping. It's all ad-libbed, you know. That was Bob De Niro because she, she like, juiced him up. She she provoked him, and he was then doing it. And, you know, it's a, it's a different De Niro you're seeing. You know, it's it's not that harsh Jackie Burke. There's a lightness. There's a, a sense like he says, God, who is this woman? She's She's, you know, I think that people have to understand, you know, he said, why would he go down to Florida? Well, 
he's a, he's a guy who's been through it. There's no one in his life. You see he's there alone. He hasn't seen his family. All of those things that are the the um, alienation of stand-up comics, it's real. They're not warm. They don't see them laugh a lot. But she sparked something in him, and they had one night together, and he's going, you know, my life is sh- May died on stage, <laughs> all of those things. He said, why not? I'll take the 25 grand. I'll go down and look her up. And I believe, to me, she's worth looking up. She was very cool. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I just quite, you, th- you see it on face value. You know, so so often this happens with movies. Like when Brad Pitt was in Inglorious Bastards, and I saw the trailer, many people scoffed at it because we thought, oh my God, Brad Pitt with that accent, how are we ever going to buy that? I then subsequently became a tremendous fan of it. Likewise with this, you think, my goodness, Leslie Mann and Robert De Niro was a couple, and, but you're, I got pulled right into it, and it and it felt very authentic to me, and her vulnerability was very authentic. And it was really fun for me to watch him have to square off against Harvey as the father and watch that antipathy and to have it end up at that nursing home. It's just one horribly awkward scene after another. And I, and, and just this, the worst, you know, it's like the worst at a nursing home. He's doing nursing home comedy then with the poopy joke that goes viral. And then, but then back earlier, another great scene that we can all, many of us can relate to is when you're speaking to somebody, it could be anybody in your life. You don't have to be in show business who has their feet up in the desk metaphorically or literally. And I love that that um, his character calls that out and won't have anything to do with it. And it's often someone a fraction of your age. Well, it's it's an interesting that the actress who played that name, when named Beth Malone, she was nominated for a Tony. She was in Fun Home. She was the older, she was the, the kind of the star of Fun Home. She's fantastic. But the thing that's amazing as a director, you, you, you read actors. That scene which is a network executive, you know, with all the power. And, you know, listen, what, what we do as directors, it's like an interesting thing. We got the po- When you got the film, you got the power. As soon as the film's over, you go back to being a popper. You go in with your hat in your hand, begging for alms. And they're going, no, 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 no. And you go, you, you keep trying, keep trying. You got a vision. It doesn't matter how successful. Maybe if you have a huge, huge hit, you get the next shot. But you're always going in begging for alms. And, you know, going to networks, uh, and, you know, some of you work in TV, some of you work in features. Networks are brutal. They're just the worst. Uh, because the people there, first of all, uh, uh, you, there's a lot of them in the room. A lot. That whole scene where they were lined up there, that's that's network television. Don't think that that's an exaggeration. It is. And the person who's head of comedy is in that position of power. When, and, and it was interesting. As I was reading all these actresses, every single... My casting director brought in some good actresses. Every single actress killed that scene. They killed it because you know what? They've gone into casting directors who act that same way. You're gonna, you want to meet the director? Kiss my because you're not going to meet the director until I say you do. That kind of power, those actresses knew. <laughs> it was amazing. I chose her because I thought she was the best. Could you tell, could you mind telling them the story about how Robert watched these comedians a lot and picked the comedian that he emulated? Yeah. Uh, with, this, with this thing, yeah. with the interior monologue. When you, yeah. when you have Robert De Niro, it's not, you know, it's a collaborative thing. Like I said, um, he invited me on the project. But he also gave me the incredible gift of saying, I want to be directed. I want to know your ideas. But you don't say, okay, Bob, this is who you're going to be. It's not that way. And this, this, the comedy wasn't written that way. So I, I took him out 
to comedy clubs. I just said, you know, I'm going to call you up. We're going to go out and we're going to uh, hit some comedy clubs. We went to the Comedy Cellar, which is in the film, which is probably the best comedy club in America. It's really unbelievable. You know, uh, Louis C.K. works there, Chris Rock. I mean, that's where people go and the audiences are tough. They, they're just not, they're not naive. Um, and we would go two, three times a week. And Bob, with busy as he was, I said, this is important. We went. And I was waiting, and we, we went and saw. They, you usually see five comedians a night, some, and they're all different. And I'm going, well, we keep going, keep going, keep going. You know, I said, you choose, you tell me when there's something you like. And he, Bob is very methodical. He doesn't. So we went, and finally, after, you know, four or five weeks of going twice or three times a week, this woman, Jessica Curson, got on stage, which was a fantastic thing because she's big. She's very aggressive, like Jackie is. But then she's got this moment where she's like, like you know, she's the woman in the club, you know, where she's saying, do you ever notice how all Jewish people, you know, all the Jewish people look like they're, you know, and she's doing that thing about visiting her aunt and so forth. She's got a very strong, aggressive style. And then in the middle of it, she goes, and she completely changes into, she goes back to the wall, and she changes into, like, she, with a shrink. Oh, I'm terrible. I look, I'm ugly. I'm fat. I mean, they hate you. And, and, and it's that dichotomy that Bob liked. So uh, she worked on the picture not writing anything. She didn't write those routines. But she, you know, she was his person that, like, made him comfortable on stage, showed him how to use the microphone. You know, they worked really close together. And he loved her, and, and I loved her. I, I'm the one who invited her on the film. Well, we did that scene at the Comedy Cellar where she's on stage doing a routine, and, and he brings Leslie on. And the great thing that happens when you have a relationship like that, a lot of that scene, that wasn't written. That's, a lot of that scene just happened because they were comfortable enough with each other. You know, Bob knew her enough and they liked each other enough that Leslie, that thing where she says, uh, he promised to buy me an ice cream, I mean, an ice cream cone, that was a, you could see Leslie explode. And the audience, that's the other thing, the, the, the audience, that their characters here, all that response was real. Um, and then she started, you know, Leslie, I mean, uh, pardon me, Jessica's good enough. She was, uh, I, you know, oh, I love it. What flavor was it? And so on. And they start going back and forth and she and Bob were happening and the audience is like in it as, as will really happen in a comedy club. And so those moments like that, I, I feel, I know that I know it was real. And those are kind of great moments because you really see Jackie, you know, thinking on his feet. Uh, one of the things that you want in this, it's not just about clubs. You know, Jackie plays to the homeless in that in that shelter, and those faces and those people. You know, he knows what to say to them, and how to get them to respond. And then, you know, at the wedding, you know, it's his it's his family, the nightmare from hell. Danny and Patty don't want him to get up there, but the but that's Danny's daughter, by the way, Lucy. That's Danny Vidivieto's real daughter, and she was the bride, well, one of the brides. But he, she wanted her uncle. She knew he was going to abuse everybody. And she loved it. She was like, I don't want another boring wedding. I want to look back and say, remember my wedding? <laughs> what Jackie, my uncle Jackie did? And of course, all the other people in the, in, the, in the family there hate him, you know. But that kind of situation is, I think, the thing that's interesting and provocative about here. His humor changes. It changed when he had to go to the old people's home. And, and a lot of people, you know, especially, it's funny, the younger 
the audience, the more insulted they are by this film. They're very PC. They're very politically correct. And they go, oh, it's terrible what they're saying, using bathroom humor with those poor old people. Jessica plays, she plays Florida. She plays those 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 things filled with altacacus. And she says, you want a guaranteed joke? Go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's always well, bathroom humor. And also, you know, Jerry Seinfeld and, and Chris Rock and our greatest comedians have stopped touring the college circuit because the, the kids are so politically correct that they can't do any of the comedy that Richard Pryor or the, any of the greatest comedians did would just be is regarded. So, I, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's. And Louis C.K. specializes in saying yeah. what you're not supposed to say. Yeah, and he's made a brilliant career. He's fantastic. He really is. Yeah. But but that's what a comedian. When you go to comedy clubs, and I don't think many people, you know, a lot of people don't go. It's a very specific group. But it's not about laughing. It's it's they come on and they challenge you. Some of the things they say are you know obviously off color. Some things are are very funny, but other things are it's provoking. That's what I'm saying. Going back to Lenny Bruce, if you really go back and look at Lenny Bruce's routines, they ain't funny. He's provoking you. He's meant you to think. You may smile, but the but that was the difference. That was the dividing line of comedy. That's why he's so famous and so important. And as I said, Jackie Brooke is that child. So he's not politically correct on any level. Uh, but he um, refuses. That's what I think the great And I think that this had meaning to Bob has meaning to all of us that uh, are of a certain age and, and want to be relegated to the scrap heap, and you refuse to do it. It's that process of that has meaning to him, and that's what he wanted to do with Jackie. And like I said, you may not like him, but at the end, you kind of have to have some respect for him, not, not giving up. Very well said, Taylor. I think we're out of time. I want to thank you for this film, and thank everybody for coming out. It's a beautiful picture. And thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, David. It's great. Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. Check out past episodes of the podcast by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at dga.org slash podcast. We'll have a lot more episodes coming your way over the next several weeks, so stay tuned. If you haven't already please subscribe to The Director's Cut on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.